You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Martin Scorsese was meant to direct Cindy Lauper. But by the time Little Shop of Horrors opened in movie theaters in 1986, Frank Oz was director and Ellen Green was reprising her starring role as Audrey. Of course, that was after two preview screenings so legendarily disastrous that Warner Brothers was on the verge of not releasing the movie at all. One new ending later, a cult classic was born. But here's the thing. Does a cult classic heavy on gritty, bleak style that concludes an attacked on happy ending translate to movie magic? Or is avoiding the apocalypse a recipe for movie madness? I'm Mark Pikert, myself a strange and unusual plant, and this is Movie Musical Madness, the Mushnik Mash. Joining us today is a woman so talented, she must have appeared during a total eclipse of the sun herself, Tatiana Maslany. Sorry, Dr. <laughs> Tatiana Maslany, DDS. I loved that intro so much. Uh, Tatiana Maslany, I cannot believe that I have somehow lured you into this podcast <laughs> to talk about Little Shop of Horrors. I, I, I did not need luring. This was like... It was like you put a little strange plant in the window. It was it was automatic. I just opened the door as Christopher Guest and did three lines. <laughs> okay, so let's just get right into it. Yeah. That is such a strange sequence in the movie. The Christopher Guest specifically. I, I mean, it, there are so many bizarre, amazing comedic cameos in this. And I don't know anything about his history in terms of like, was he was he a thing then? I don't think so. I think it was just that thing of Frank Oz and then Steve Martin. And there was just this. And also, who knows how big of a fan these people were of the musical? Because the musical had opened a few years before Off-Broadway, took over New York City, became a huge, huge hit. And the, I mean, look, the people they were talking to to play Audrey were Cyndi Lauper, Barbara uh-huh. Streisand, and Madonna. No! Yes. Wait, and so when you said Martin Scorsese was meant to direct this movie? Yes. Oh, my God. Steven Spielberg was going to, I think, executive produce, and Scorsese was going to direct. I, I, I've, I have so many questions about all of this, because you also mentioned two failed screenings, which, like, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about the history of this movie. And the dumb thing when I said like, yeah, let's do a little shop of horrors. I've never seen it on stage. <laughs> I just realized oh, that. So, so I can't even compare and contrast. That's one of the questions I wanted to bring up because yeah. this is a musical that we all know, or like people our age, certainly all know from this movie. Yeah, totally. Even though it is done a lot. Uh, one of my favorite exercises in, uh, Ooh, <laughs> is to go on YouTube and Google high school Little Shop of Horrors and see yes. how many people have all white urchins in the cast. <laughs> oh, my God. And they all do, I'm guessing. And they all do. Yeah, yeah. they all do. Yeah. I, I would love to see. I think the only, like, 
um, staged version I've seen on screen. Well, there's a couple. So I've seen the like Jake Gyllenhaal and I think he did it with Ellen Green in like a staged reading. Um, And then I've seen the uh, MJ Rodriguez, her clip, which is, I mean, my, one of my biggest regrets is not seeing her do this performance. I know. So that was happening at Pasadena Playhouse uh, last fall, fall 2019, at the same time that Jonathan Groff and Christian Borel and Tammy Blanchard opened Off-Broadway. Right. In a production. And I did see that. I went to opening night. Uh, uh-huh. you, what, just, we, what you just did was a little drinky, drinky action yes. <laughs> for the viewers uh, at yes. home, the listeners. M- much like uh, <laughs> much like when Seymour goes on the radio show to talk about his strange and unusual looking plant. <laughs> uh this is a visual medium correct podcasts yeah, are visual yeah yeah yes yeah, that's... Yeah, or or you're gonna want to do a bunch of yeah um audit audio gags i'm sure you've got a bunch of props there haven't you yeah, well i'm known for my prop work yes i <laughs> i actually trained carrot tops so oh wow that's, yeah Did you no, also that's my claim physically train him in the gym when he became really big for some reason muscularly yes, I did. we were there together <laughs> That's the he, most that's one of the most shocking images in history, I think. Is Carrot Top just jacked to shit? <laughs> I in all of history, I agree. <laughs> Carrot Top sporting some impressive musculature is one of the most shocking images I've ever seen. <laughs> We're already so off topic and I adore it. <laughs> like this is all I want. I just this is an excuse yeah. to just like <laughs> be vaguely mean and make fun of people (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Okay. So, but you have seen it on stage, at least the stage version. No, on screen. No, but you saw Jake, didn't you? Or did you just see Jake in a clip? That was it. Got it. So I've seen little clips here and there. Also similar to YouTube stalking the, the musical. So very quickly for you and for the listeners at home who might not have seen a staged production, mm-hmm. uh, it's very, very faithful to the original version. The big difference is this ends with them living, getting married, and moving somewhere that's green. In the original stage version, uh, Audrey 2 eats them both <gasps> and then takes over the planet. Uh, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> So, so was that one of the failed screenings? Was that was that people were like, uh, uh-uh, uh, too sad. So it's really interesting. They filmed a twenty-three minute finale of all of that happening, and they screened it, I think, in La Jolla first. And the they fill out the cards, and the cards come back, and like anything below a thirty-three, I think studios just refused to release it. They scored a thirteen. Whoa! And so they were like, okay. Just to make sure that it's not this particular audience, let's do another one. So mm-hmm. I think they did another one in Hollywood or somewhere else. And even worse. And Frank Oz said in an interview, he realized you can kill the leads in a stage musical and the actors come out and take their bow and everything is fine. But oh. to kill the lead characters that movie audiences have watched for 90 minutes and fallen in love with and deeply care about is a completely different matter. Interesting, because some of my favorite musicals do end in like the they're they're sort of like the heaviest enders, or like you know, like Into the Woods is one of my favorite musicals ever, and it like notoriously has such a painful ending. 
where, well, it's like if you stop Marie Antoinette 40 minutes in, happy ending. <laughs> right. Doing nothing but having parties and hanging out with her friends yeah. and her husband. That's right. Uh, so, so here's, and this is also talking about the ending and people didn't want this bleak ending. Here's my question about the tone of this movie. And I want to be very clear. I really enjoy this movie. I watched it again last night. Uh, I really enjoy it. The performances are spot on. We're going to get into Rick Moranis, hot or not. So hot. So hot. Oh, uncomfortably hot. Are you the only other person on the planet who feels this way? Because I've had a crush on him since I saw this musical. I was like, actually, since Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Probably since Ghostbusters. <laughs> he's Ghostbusters. They're like he's too hunched over. He's basically like <laughs> Iago, just like uh-huh. limping it's a around. Too, it's a bit too goofy. But this, I'm just like, are you hotter than Steve Martin? I mean, there's that you're you're talking about <sighs> two of my greatest, like other than Jim Carrey, probably when I was a kid, but like the two men who uh, created my, you know my interest like what became my type <laughs> in crushes for sure i'm deeply concerned uh, yeah. <laughs> but i also need to go quickly to, on a sidebar to say jim carrey and liar liar yeah i mean beautiful so sexy <laughs> in the uh, ma- for me it's the mask unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> you know i gave you an opportunity to walk back the Jim Carrey. No, I went straight for it. <laughs> you really doubled down on that. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. I respect. Thank you. Thank you. So the tone of this movie is interesting because mm-hmm. it goes back to the first thing we said, the Christopher Guest moment, because he, his deadpan, very like 1950s PSA, like educational video performance is yes. so at odds with the other three performances in that scene. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we never, it's not a choice for all of the characters. It feels very much like Frank Oz and company said, we have all these amazing, funny friends. Let's just get them to come in for a day and do their thing. Yes. I mean, Bill Murray is a yes. perfect example. Yes. Like that monologue he gives feels like it could only be him. I was thinking about when I was watching him do it because he throws it away so completely while still making like huge physical choices. But it is really tossed like in that amazing Bill Murray, you know, style. Like it's not over the top. It kind of could exist in a different film. All improvised. No. Yeah. No. His entire scene is improvised. I have a fourth crush to add. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so speaking of that, there is something that I need while we're on Bill Murray. Yeah. That scene, I do not remember as a child how sexual he makes that scene. Oh, yeah. It's all S&M. It's it's all like... So it's not just like, oh, I like pain. Like, oh, that feels nice. It's just like deeply orgasmic. Yeah, he's saying thank you repeatedly. Yes. (laughs) It's yeah. And it's, and and there's like full commitment to it. There's zero wink in it. No. And I think that that's, what's really remarkable about the performances across the board in this movie. There is no winking. No, even Audrey, who is like Ellen Green is like doing, you know, massive. Like I was trying to do her voice last night and I was like, that is hard on the throat. 
that is deeply difficult on the throne. And she's like huge, but I believe every second. Like I'm like, yes. that's a real person. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's a testament maybe to Frank Oz having worked on the Muppets for so long that he understands how to get humanity out of over the top, like literally non-human performers. Yes. You think, I always think about puppetry being like the most, um, uh, the best acting because there's so little movement or like there's such specificity to the movement and like restriction to the movement that, that like a puppet can do like, like you're saying with Rick Moranis, like his hunched over thing. But like if a puppet did like a tiny hunch in a scene, you'd be like, oh, you'd feel everything. Like there's just such tiny little nuanced movements that translate to like huge emotion. And you know what I mean? Storytelling. And I think that that's also really a testament to Frank Oz working with Ellen Green, who did this show for hundreds of performances off Broadway. This doesn't feel like something that she's walking through. This feels very much like a fresh and a movie performance. This is not like, I'm just going to, although there is that moment in the reprise of suddenly Seymour where Rick Moranis is singing to her and she's facing him. And then he's, (laughs) he's crooning very sweetly. And then she opens her mouth and gulps in air and turns full, full front (laughs) to the camera (laughs) to belt. Totally. And I think that's what I love about the the movie too is that it doesn't pull any it's like it's it honors the fact that it was a stage piece like it it loves that and it allows for that to be like continued into the as much as it is cinematic like it there's something about it that does feel like we're on a sound stage and like you know what i mean like this rain machine is it, it, do you know what i mean there's like a there's like a nod to that Well, and there's an interview where Frank Oz said, I didn't want to do anything on location. I didn't want to break the spell of the atmosphere that this world has to exist in to be taken seriously as a movie. And I think that that was exactly right. If you see them on an actual New York City street, then the juxtaposition of that and the Audrey 2 is too much. Like, you can't compute that. And it feels false. But if you create this exaggerated, I mean, also, this is one of the grittiest movie musicals I can think of Mm -hmm. other than maybe Sweeney Todd. Right. 30 years later. Right. I mean, Les Mis is pretty heavy, but it's like it's heavy from the start. Like there's zero (laughs) reprieve from it that it's just like, uh uh-huh. Whereas this kind of navigates many different tones. Well, and there's also just something about like the cinematography and the set dressing. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. Who... So I have notes. One of the one of the first notes <laughs> is the saddest florist ever. This is oh, the yeah. saddest florist shop I've <laughs> ever seen. Totally. He comes in and asks for a hundred dollars worth of roses. They don't have any roses. <laughs> Where did these roses come from? Were they in the back? Yeah, we don't see many plants in this plant shop. The only thing sadder <laughs> than the only thing sadder than the initial florist shop is the funeral arrangement that Audrey makes, where she oh, just yeah. throws glitter onto some lilies. <laughs> I love that about her. That's my favorite character trait. <laughs> what she is... thinks a funeral arrangement is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, that is also my one deal breaker with a character. And I let it slide here because it's heightened. But mm-hmm. I, you can murder people. You can deal drugs. You can do whatever you want. You have to be good at your job, though. Yeah, the minute, right. you, the minute you <laughs> were bad at your integrity. job. <laughs> that's why I had such a hard time with Fargo season one. I was like, ah, oh, everyone's so bad at their jobs. The thing I had trouble with season one of Fargo was the the jump at the end when we miss out on all of their kissing. I'm I, like, you built so much kissing tension that we don't even see their courtship. No, you How just get you? like married and preggers. Yeah, no, I was I was I was out when they did that. I no I romance. really I wanted some tent. I wanted that tension to be released slow. Did valve, you finish so. it? There was there were only like two episodes left. Yeah, I did finish okay, it, but I was like, but I my heart broke. <laughs> it was like you you skipped out on the kissy kissy bits, which is my favorite stuff. Fair fair enough. <laughs> uh, oh, I do have a question for you. Have you ever entered a florist shop on a whim based on what is in the window? I have a very big block in terms of floor shops in the sense, like, I don't know what I'm doing when I go in there. So there is rare, there's a rare occasion when I walk into one with any kind of like, it, it's more, it, it's more like, help me, but let's get this over with. Cause I have to get a present for somebody and I don't know what I'm doing. It is one of the few, I can only compare it to trying to walk through like, the perfume makeup skincare aisles of department stores when I was mm-hmm. an acne stricken teenager <laughs> where I'm just like, no, don't look at me. Don't leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear yes. how you know better than I do. And that's what yes. a floor shop is for me. Like, I know you know better than I do. I don't know yes. what kind of a dirt to get with this plant. I, does this need a lot of sun? Does this need a lot of water? Yes. Uh, I think the only time I like entered a shop because something so like moved me in the window was when I was passing this vintage shop in LA and they had a Groucho pajama set, like old, like it was like a, it was like a long sack, like a nightdress that had Groucho on it. It was vintage. And I was like, (gasps) like, I need that. And I was like, busted in. I was like, please, sir, like, give me that Groucho PJ. And he was like, that'll be $300. And I was like, bye. <laughs> like, I like, ran out. It was like Wait. moth. There was like holes in it. I was like, dude, you can't sell that for 300 bucks. Who is Groucho? Groucho Marx. Oh, that's what I thought you were saying. But then I was like, <laughs> there's, a, but that seems such a bridge too far in terms of like, who would put Groucho on a caftan? It was surreal and that's why i was like i'm like i simply must have that i need that in my life and then it was the price was the price is too high the price is wrong what what i'm (laughs) hearing from you Uh is you lived little shop of horrors but audrey too was a groucho caftan where someone put in a window to lure (laughs) in victims and they didn't have they didn't have change for a 500 dollar bill and i wasn't willing to to give it no, you have no. to draw the line somewhere. Groucho, yeah. $300, fine. 500 yeah. it's not all no, the Marx you. Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're missing three important, one less important Marx Brothers. I mean, I I'm a completist. <laughs> Call me when you get Zeppo. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> not interested. Yes. Um, also, my, one of my favorite weird things about this movie, and whatever, that's another tangent. Yeah. One of the major characters is a dentist and everyone has the very 80s yellow teeth. Oh my God, I noticed that too. Steve Martin's wonderful yellow teeth. 
But back then, they probably looked white because now we all have right. whitening strips. We, all we have never knew our teeth now. could be this color. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. No, he, I noticed that too when he like leans into the camera. Also, he's just, his dancing in this movie. There's one little move he does when he walks into the shop and he goes, ow! And he does this leg thing that's not even Elvis, but it's just so beautiful. I was like, yeah. that man... I love him. I I should have looked this up. I wonder if he was still with Bernadette Peters when he made this Oof. movie. Was this before Pennies from Heaven or after? I think it was after. They probably they filmed in 85. This movie? Maybe early 86. They filmed this in early 86 at least. I was I was just I was just born. I was only oh. just merely born. You really missed a lot. There were wonderful I things happening. <laughs> I bet. Just a few years before, Marissa Berenson and I entered her birthday party on a white horse, and I fell off the back just as the photographers clicked, and she's Wait, the only one preserved this? in history. A Studio <laughs> Wait, 54. It's a Studio 54 bit. I don't know. I don't know. I, had, I worked with an actor once who was like of the Studio 54 era, and he told me that there were tables of meat, cold cuts, at crotch height at Studio 54 one time when he went. I was like, I don't want to. I don't want this. No, please. No, thank you. There, I will tell you a story involving people who are still living when we finish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it involves a legendary uh, singer-actress-dancer. Uh-huh. And it involves a legendary, a legendary male ballerina. Ooh, girl. And it, it involves under a table with a bottle of poppers. Okay. Okay. Was there meat Remind on the me table? Remind me when we finish. Were there cold cuts uh, on the no, table? No, the meat was under the table. <laughs> oh, hey <-o. laughs> Oh, yeah. It was... Okay. Hey! That's my Reba. <laughs> one, of my, one of my questions on, in my notes is literally, is Audrey good at Ikebana? Which is at the Iki Japanese art of flower arranging. Oh, right. I mean, she certainly touches them quite a bit and sort of fluffs them. There's a lot of delicate dabbing, <laughs> which, which to me, if somebody was like, be a florist, that would for sure be what I would do. Mine oh. floristry. It's Absolutely. like tapping at, tapping them flowers, <laughs> just pulling the petals. I just, there's also that amazing, there aren't a ton of comedy lines that really get me. It's more, mm -hmm. um, pratfalls or physical comedy in this one. Yeah. But the one <laughs> line that always gets me is wedding. Oh, no. Uh, he says, a funeral. And she goes, hand me the lilies. I don't know what voice I'm doing there. That's. <laughs> I think it's lilies. like Tammy Grimes or. <laughs> we're, I mean, we're one glass of iced coffee away from just full Holly Hunter. I love it. My I favorite Holly moment. Hunter's Audrey. Oh, my God. Just so grounded. <laughs> my favorite moment, and I filmed it when I was watching, was when. Um, Seymour goes in to check out the, the like Chinese floor, like the Chinese shop that has like the strange, you know, I guess things that he cuts off and then like grows into different stuff. But he like finds nothing that day. And then he walks across the street and stands with like a duo, like a group singing like the chorus of men. And they're all like facing one direction and he kind of looks at them and then like goes to take a position next to them. And it's just the cutest little moment. And that's when I knew 
is still my biggest crush. Rick Moranis. God, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get bogged down in how sexy Rick Moranis is. <laughs> but honestly. What is it for you? Uh, the sweetness. Well, first of all, I love a shorty. I'm okay. six one, okay. and I love like a five <laughs> six, five seven. Ah, oh, I love to go to like I love to walk up to shorter statured men and just say, "Climb me like I'm a tree." <laughs> would you say that to Rick? To Ricky? Uh, oh, he would be no. He's too delicate. I would never. He's too fragile for sure. I would pick him up in my arms and carry him to safety. <laughs> I love him. And honestly, you probably could carry him to safety as well. I would. I would try my darnest. Yeah, we're we're both tiny Canadians. I think that's what I respond to as well. He's like Mm. obviously Canadian, and he's got that like um, pout mouth, the sweet little pout mouth. And at one point, when he's saying "I don't know," and then he goes "I don't know," and he has this like growl that comes in. Hands in pockets. Give me a break. Sweetness with a little growl every now and yeah. then. Yeah. What more does a gal need? I uh, asked truly, you. Truly. Uh, I also loved the ashtrays in the dentist waiting room. <laughs> Great detail. One of those things where I'm like, never going to happen again. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, waiting rooms probably won't either. Uh, I will say as Audrey 2 is dragging itself across the room to call Audrey, which mm-hmm. I love that Audrey 2 knows Audrey 1's phone number. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. But, okay, sure. And does uh, that cute thing where he, like, Checks for turns, a coin. And he also turns, he, like, twiddles the, the phone cord. Yes. Sort of, you know, bored. I mean, can you imagine Martin Scorsese directing a puppet in the way that Frank Oz has directed this puppet? I'm deeply grateful he did not direct this movie. I have to Same. say, Same. I'm not the the biggest. I mean, sure, classics, but uh, mm. I don't need. I don't need. You know, I don't need. I don't need us to be siding with the dentist in this one. I I was going to say I don't <laughs> need to see the domestic violence really glorified. No, and like kind of sexy, and for three hours. No. 94 <laughs> minutes. Like, that's my sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. Please. I can do anything for an hour and a half. And mostly in shadow. Yes, which I thought was also so great because it it's more upsetting that you can't see how bad it is, that you have to use your imagination that this is happening. And it's so true of those, like, living situations where you see through a window little clips of people's lives. Like, that's such a, a you know... Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you. Yes. I'm just pouring water. I'm not peeing. That's whatever you need to do. I have no (laughs) judgment here. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, does Audrey ever realize that Seymour killed those people? I mean, if she did, she probably, given her history, might actually, like, 
forgive that. <laughs> he saved her way. fortune on ace bandages and Epsom salts. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's a lot of like, I love Lucy style, you know, wife battering kind of winks in this, in this here. But piece. they, it, even watching it like what, 86. So 34 years later. Yeah. It never veers into grimacy. Tell me what you mean. I don't. Every time that he hits her or he's threatening to her or she's um, blaming herself or saying that she deserves it, it never, it tiptoes right up to the line of like, oh, this is so bad. It tiptoes uh-huh. right up to that line. But for me, it never crosses that line. Uh-huh into like I think, unwatchable this is a problem no because we empathize with her we're like on her journey we like get inside of her experience and her dreams and stuff like that yes now yeah. the scene with the with the um the chinese florist where sure. the urchins <laughs> are dressed in the um i can't think of the word for that dress uh uh-huh but you know what I'm talking about in the mood for sure. love, whatever with that beautiful dress that she's wearing. Yeah. That, that like maybe crosses the line of like, Ooh, yes. but again, the, this world is so heightened that you kind of give it a pass as, okay, this is like an imaginary world. So, okay. I'll just like, that is five seconds. So I'll just close my eyes for five seconds and then get back to this yes. movie. That's so good. Yes. Not everything is going to age. Well, no, no, but it is like trope land as well. Like there's something about it that's like, these are the archetypes of this, you know, kind of cartoon puppet world. Yeah. And like, how do those archetypes then transcend the archetype or push past, you know, push out of it? And they never play the archetypes for laughs. No, no, it's so true. It's such a, I mean, I know we're supposed to like, shit on it but i no, no we're it. not at all <laughs> it's, no it's, this, it's one of my flaves <laughs> I, mean, I love it to death this is this is the you picked one of the few good movie musicals i mean the a chorus line movie like there's not a ton that you can say <laughs> about that that's great right but little shop like it and also we didn't even touch on this how awesome that we got ellen green preserving her performance that made her a star Yes. So this was her iconic performance. Yeah. This was the one. And did you, you didn't ever see her do that. You wouldn't have seen that. No, I was at 54 at studio 54 with Marissa Berenson. (laughs) Right. Of course. And I was in a diaper eating cold cuts. Um, Do you, do you feel like she, I don't know much about her. Did she come out fully formed as this kind of character outside like did her work come from who she was or did she create this from the work she was given i think she created this from the work that she was given uh she had done i think she's one of the few performers who starred in two broadway musicals that closed before opening oh god Uh uh-huh yeah uh and so this was like her make or break moment and it made her she actually is the one who suggested that Audrey be a blonde. Oh, interesting. Which is now like such, like, this is the iconic look. And yeah. I think 
the only way to stage the show now, as both of us saw individually, or you with the clips, is to go completely in a different direction. So Tammy Blanchard does not have that same, like, crazy belt that Ellen Green has, but she acted the hell out of it. And Uh she has, like, that Brooklyn accent, so it was just, like, perfect casting in that way. And MJ Rodriguez is just such a, like, brilliant performer in her own right and brings all of her history to this character and what that means so that there's an extra layer because really Ellen green is Audrey to the point where when Jake Gyllenhaal did it, she reprised her role 30 years later. She had to. Yeah. It's an interesting because, because she occupies such a specific place in like the trope of, of a woman like that sort of that, you know, like a, like a beaten down, but but still in love with the man who hits her, who hurts her. Like there is such like there's unfortunately still translatable kind of echo that we can go back to. And it doesn't feel irrelevant. Like it doesn't feel like we've moved past that. So to cast somebody in it who embodies like a sense of what that pain is, is just interesting. That's really. Well, and I think we all get so. When you were in New York, did you ever go to Marie's Crisis? Maybe. What is that? That's the Showtune Piano Bar in the West Village. No, I didn't. Oh, my God. Okay, when you when life returns yeah. and you were back in New York, we have to go because you would... It's just everyone drunk, screaming show tunes oh around a God. piano. <laughs> I love that. I don't even and, need to be drunk to be doing that. No, it helps if you are, but no. Uh <laughs> And one of the big shows was <laughs> Little Shop, and they would do like Skip uh-huh. Row, and they would do Somewhere the Screen. For, that was the quiet song, which all the quiet songs are like, or, or when I said, uh, I'm going to have a cigarette. Can the adults please smoke? <laughs> you go outside. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they would do uh, Suddenly Seymour. And so you think of the score of Little Shop as this big, belty, like impossible to sing score. But honestly, it's just how you approach Suddenly Seymour that that is true. This is mm. not like a crazy score in that way. Like it's not a crazy Broadway Beltris score. Right. Right. And it's so interesting that Ellen Green's performance of this one, so- one part of one song has so has become so closely identified with what the score sounds like uh-huh. when so little of the score actually sounds like the end of suddenly Seymour where everyone's belting for the gods. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because I was also looking at uh, uh, Rick Moranis in it, and that he does that, like, he has a great voice because he's just kind of an extension of how he speaks. Like, it's just very, like, articulated and kind of, like, dorky, and, like, he's speak he's speak yelling a little bit. Oh, and I loved it. Yeah, same. Oh, it really worked for me. I mean, it might have been the Bud Lights I was drinking as I watched, but I don't think it was. <laughs> Wait, this is on. This is last night. Yeah, you're drinking Bud Lights last night. Yeah. <laughs> why? I don't know why Bud Light seems like only a cartoon drink. Drink like it does. Like I don't <laughs> see those in real life. Well, yeah, I got. I, I love it. That's what. <laughs> 
it's not every night. I don't always have Bud Light. I do drink every night, but it's not always yeah. Bud Light. Was but, it specific know. to this movie or like this requires a Bud Light kind of buzz? No, I've just been like sitting on the floor in front of a fan drinking beer this past two weeks during this heat wave. And <laughs> right. I just I like hit my limit with the hard cider last week. Yes. And yes. I was like, oh, I'm just going to what do I want? What do I want? Oh, this is half the price of that cider. Fuck. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to get some Bud Light. <laughs> and be a cartoon boy. <laughs> yeah. So you just gave me the best segue I could possibly have asked for. Did uh-huh. you know? this was a cartoon series in the early 90s? I feel like I did see that at one point, and I don't, like, there's, like, images of it online. Yeah, so you can watch the intro. I think the premise of the show became uh, Audrey 2 doesn't eat people. It's just a talking plant. Oh, so it's just, like, a sassy friend. Basically. Uh-huh. And the animation and the look and feel of it is very Beetlejuice cartoon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm here for it. I mean, I, I still wish Audrey ate people, but I'm here for that. I mean, who knows what happens in later seasons? It could be like that Rob Lowe show that got canceled and they still had to f- like record five film five more episodes. And he was like, guys, let's just go crazy. And it turns out that this, <laughs> the series is about some lawyer. And it turns out that he was completely deranged and psychopathic and had invented this whole world. So what show is this? Like the lion's den. Oh, huh? Oh yeah. So it starts off as like, it starts off as like a legal drama and then they get canceled and he's like, who cares? They've got to pay us to make this anyway. Let's just go crazy. So no one was watching it. So they just did like all of these crazy things. (laughs) I love that. Actually, I have a Rob Lowe story. It's related to musicals. I was working on a movie with him back in Toronto. This is one of the first jobs I ever did in Toronto. And he was, he and I were sitting in like the tent, whatever. And I was like trying to stay in the moment. I had like a kind of emotional scene and I was listening. And he's like, what are you listening to? He was like smoking cigars or something. (laughs) And he's like, what are you listening to? I was like, oh, I'm listening to um, Les Mis. I'm listening to... Uh, little fall of rain or whatever. And he was like, Oh, let me listen. And he put his, he took my CD player, which I had my discman and he listened to it. And I think he was singing along with it. That's my Rob Lowe musical moment. Stop it. No, I won't. I shan't. I don't want you to be (laughs) telling me about Rob Lowe singing to you. That's what he was end with like a cigar in his mouth. It was like a I perfect. Love, I love that <laughs> I just spent image. like. I love that I just spent the last thirty minutes being like, "I love sweet, dopey, short guys." And then you bring up Rob Lowe, and I'm like, "Yes, bring him to me." Yeah. Are you like into guys or something? Is that the thing? No. You just love all guys. I just like. I like to have a bromance, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just really good friends with them. Just, I feel like Rob Lowe could have a really good time with me, just like kicking back, <laughs> drinking Bud Light, like. See where the night takes us. Uh, yeah, just watching Les Mis. I'm yeah. sure he would. Oh, stop. I'm oh, sure he would. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm, oh, getting, boy. <laughs> I'm fanning myself. I've got the vapor. Could you imagine if you watched Little Shop and you saw that Rick uh, Moranis pout? What a uh, sexual have. night that would be. <laughs> I actually have a giant fan with a peacock on it that is just out of reach. No. I know. I, I, I really let you down with my prop work today. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize like for a- that. Yes. 
get it, get it. Oh my gosh, it's on a hanger? No, I had to take the hanger to get it. Oh, <laughs> can you swarp it though? You know how to swarp it? No, I don't. No, I don't have any rhythm or flexibility. I can't do things like that. <laughs> did you ever do musicals? Uh, no. Yes, I did a community theater production in small town Texas of the best little whorehouse in Texas. Okay. Um, in the group numbers, uh, well, there's no nice way to say it. A committee was formed and went to the director to request that I lip sync during <gasps> all the group numbers because I was a throwing them all off. Well, yeah. who was in this committee? Um, everyone. Do you remember their first and last names? <laughs> Travis. Travis. Daniel. Okay. Gosh, what betrayal. I, well, it's not really a betrayal. It, it, it was fair, honestly. Uh-huh. I, um, I used to do musicals. Actually, the reason I watched Little Shop was because my improv, my high school improv team, we had to do uh, these different, we had to, we were in this like improv competition with all the high schools. And one of the, uh, like one of the things you had to do was a style event. So you had to do an, a music, like an improvised something in the style of blah, blah, blah. So it could have been the style of a uh, noir film or the style of uh, a silent movie or whatever. But we did the style, we did it in the style of a musical, a Broadway musical. And my teacher was like, you have to watch Little Shop. Like that's the iconic, <laughs> that is the iconic musical. I think because it's so like, loves the genre, like it's so lovingly yes. a musical. It, yes. And I think that that's why this is one of the more successful musicals of the decade. It is not trying to not be a musical. It is not trying to trick no. you into forgetting that it is a musical. Yeah. It is yeah. very much. Here's the I want song. Here is how they're going to. Here's all the crazy shenanigans with the montage, with backup singers, with a Greek chorus. Yeah. Which also, where yeah. did the urchins go? Halfway through the movie. Where do they go? They sort of, so the narration, we, we no longer have that. What is it? We don't have the anchor of somebody seeing it from the outside. Yeah. So then once. Because. Oh, I think it's when he kill when Oren dies and he chops him up. I think the urchins disappear then. So is there something, there's some kind of. There's some sort of like, it's almost like the second half of Into the Woods, like where we're so, sort of like left to our own devices. Like yeah. the 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 safety of the structure is gone because we've like, because like someone's betrayed his true nature. Do you read and think about scripts in depth for a living? I've read a couple scripts in huh. my time. Yeah. And I've read a couple books about whatever script writing or whatever uh i dabble I, I i actually think i really wish that you'd like shown up to be on camera with me with your emmy speaking of prop work just like, <laughs> yeah that's oh, in this, toronto just, in a box <laughs> i just bring this with me everywhere i go this is my this is my emmy i'll show you my emmy <laughs> this, this is, is on a, my mantle oh yeah <laughs> i think that that is a life-size emmy it is it's a bust, a lady's bust, classic lady's bust. Uh, so I have two follow up, uh, two final questions for you before we have to wrap this up. Uh, yeah. One is 
before the question, uh, one is a comment. I would love to see you as a Seymour. I, okay. I was so grateful you said that because I was thinking, I was like trying to cast myself in this just because I'm, you know, obsessed with me, I guess. I was yeah. like, who would I be? And it would definitely be Seymour. I mean, honestly, just orphan black it up and play all of them. <laughs> You've got the I don't range. have the voice for anybody. Well, I have zero voice, but I feel like I could talk it. I could talk it out. And I do think he and I have a similar, there's a similar vibe going on there for sure. Okay. Definitely Seymour. But I also think cut the musical numbers. Do yeah. a one person little shop of horrors <laughs> where you film yourself as all of the characters, but only uh -huh. the book scenes, which are everyone's favorite <laughs> parts of a musical anyway. The book scenes? Is that the, the lines? Yes. <laughs> the book scenes? I've never the heard lines? That. What is that? The lines? That's when they <laughs> talk to each other? I learned that from Rob Lowe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's filming me in musicals. That's, I, I would love to. I would absolutely do that. Uh, so, my final question, my yeah. real final question is Do you think Little Shop of Horrors, the movie, works as a movie without prior knowledge of the stage musical. Yes, because that's the only way I knew it. And it works. It works. It works for me in so many ways. It, I agree. And I think that even yeah. the changed ending is as much as we both love a dark ending and see everyone die. I think that that is the wrong choice for this yeah. incarnation of the story. I think that you fall in love with both of them so much giving these movie star incandescent performances that you don't want yeah. to see them eaten alive and the world consumed. You want their, you want their love to survive and thrive. Yes. And, and it is also, it's a, it's a subversively dark ending to be like these two people, one of whom has committed like negligent murder, yeah, like murder by negligence by like not doing yeah. Gets gets the little white picket fence. And it will eventually I mean, tear them apart. Of, yes. I mean, cut to three weeks from now when they're just like coexisting and, and just annoyed at whatever. Annoyed yeah. at the floral arrangement picking, the petal picking. I mean, she's going to run out of glitter. Yeah. That's going to be a whole thing. Uh-huh. I can't imagine Actually, what their sex looks like, to be honest. Even though I highly sexualize Rick Moranis, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, don't know really know what sex with a woman looks like in general. <laughs> Fair enough. I like Seymour and Oren. Yeah, I know exactly how that would go. <laughs> well, you see a little clip of it as he's sort of, mm -hmm. you know. Got him well, in the chair. That was also cut from from the after the previous screening, the whole like sex scene between Seymour just and Dr. Scrivello. Just them getting down to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what a that, shame. All that, what a uh, shame. People weren't oxide. ready. They weren't <laughs> ready for it. Different time. But yeah. I do want to say before we leave, uh, you can watch the original ending on YouTube and on it's <gasps> an extra on the DVD. I'm basically going to go right now to watch that and then also the cartoon <laughs> yeah i think that you should i can't wait i'm so uh, i'm so glad for it for all this new information that i that you've given me
Well, and I'm so glad that we got to do this because you are secretly one of the funniest people that I've ever spoken to. <laughs> or not secret to me, but like secret, in general, yeah. no one thinks like, Tatiana Mazzani is hilarious. I actually think that you're so Ooh. hilarious. Oh, I thanks. Need, I need you to do like a big rom-com. I would love to. Can it be with Rick Moranis? I was just about to say, May, December okay. romance. You and Rick Moranis will yes. lure him out of retirement. Yes. Rob Lowe will play his skeezy older brother. Yes. I can't wait. I can't, that's, that's the one I'm the most excited about is working with Rob Lowe again. Yeah. Well, I really need to do that again. Yes. No, I, I believe that. <laughs> I hope we get canceled midway through the movie and then just get to do our own thing. <laughs> So also add, add the lion's den to your list of things to watch today. Because yeah, oh my God, I I've got... don't think you'll oh. regret it. Uh, Tati Mazlani, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And loyal listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Movie Musical Madness. And please join us next week for another episode. This episode of Movie Musical Madness was edited by Kyle Moore with theme music by Sunshine Music. And thank you for listening to Movie Musical Madness, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about the podcast and me at bpn.fm slash movie musical madness. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.